Hello. We hope that you're doing well. We're really glad that you've decided to join us. My name is Ethan. I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And today, let's con- let's dis- begin our discussion by considering a, a pretty important question. What, what does the practice of the Christian faith look like on a day-to-day basis? We understand that we need to believe in Jesus, to follow God. We, we know we need to go to church and to encourage fellow Christians. But what are the things we're supposed to do on a day-to-day basis to show that we're Christians, to, to do that, to serve God, to follow God? Well, we recognize many of the standard expectations. We're supposed to avoid sin. Uh, Galatians 5, 19-21, the works of the flesh, those are the things we should not be doing. We should be manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in, in the next verses, for Galatians 5, 22-24. We recognize our need to hear the Word of God and to learn more about it, and so we generally do that through reading and studying the Bible. Uh, John 8, 32 and 2 Timothy 2, 15 about those efforts. We know that we need to pray, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, to pray without ceasing and to give thanks always. And in Galatians 6 and verse 10, that we are to do good as we have opportunity, especially to the household of faith, but to all people. So, we know that these are things we're supposed to be doing as we have opportunity throughout our lives. But what do we see from Scripture about day-to-day practice is a very good question. And there are lots of things that we see in, in Scripture in terms of approved examples and even apostolic examples that go along with a concept called by ancient Christians the spiritual disciplines. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, Paul says that he disciplines his body and makes it his slave that he can follow Jesus. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, uh, Paul says that he God has given us the spirit of, among other things, sophronismos in Greek, which means discipline or self-control. And that idea of self-control there uh, is one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.24. And in 1 Peter 4.7, the Christians are to live lives of self-control and sober-mindedness. Now, how are we supposed to do this exactly? Well, that's a matter of liberty. But there are glimpses in Scripture of these examples, of these ancient practices called the disciplines, and that early Christians used these disciplines to help them maintain uh, that discipline. That's why the word's there, in, in their spiritual practices. And it's a very important concept, discipline. It's one that normally we, we don't necessarily like, we want to run away from, especially in our culture that tends to value excess uh, and runs away from authority. But discipline is not just a negative abuse of, uh, of something or the chastisement or correction, although sometimes that's what discipline demands is cor- correction or chastisement. Uh, discipline also is simply boundaries. Discipline is to having boundaries. And discipline can also be understood as a habit. Uh, to intentionally do certain things at certain times in certain ways, not just because of a desire to be ritualistic, not uh, just to go through emotions, obviously, but to make something a part of life. And Christianity is expected to be a, a way of life, and therefore it's practices need to be made a part of life. And that's where there can be great value in discipline. That's what people long before us understood. And so today I'd like to consider with you the spiritual discipline of prayer. 
And we saw in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, 18 that we're supposed to pray without ceasing. Some people take it not to mean that we're praying 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. That's not necessarily what Paul means. It is a present tense, but present tense can be a progressive or repeated action. Uh, the idea that Paul has is not that every millisecond you're in prayer, but that prayer is a constantly constant in your life, that it is repeated action. It is continually repeated. There is not a period of time where prayer is not under consideration, that one is constantly praying to God. And at other times, we could talk more about prayer. There's a lot to be said about prayer, uh, how prayer ought to be understood in general, uh, prayers in specific contexts, spontaneous prayers, things of that nature. But for our purposes today, I'd like to consider the spiritual discipline of prayer, especially as it is accomplished in some kind of fixed hour or ordered format. And the reason why we're going to talk about this specifically, and it's a very narrow understanding, I recognize that, uh, but let, let's consider the examples we see in Scripture. First of all, to understand in general the exhortation that God has given us about prayer, that it's supposed to be part of a Christian's life and a major component. We saw 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, 18. In Romans 12, 12 and Colossians 4, 2, Christians are exhorted to continue steadfastly in prayer. In Ephesians 6, 18, they're, they're to be praying all prayer at all seasons. Philippians 4 and verse 6, the idea that in everything with thankfulness we're to make our requests known to God in prayer. And so in all of these exhortations, we see an idea of prayer that it is to be something we do continually, uh, with devotion and steadfastness, um, that we're serious about our lives of prayer. Now, when it comes to how we pray and when we pray and exactly what we say when we pray, there's a lot left to liberty. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um, and we're not necessarily trying to infringe upon that. But to point out that there is this apostolic example, it's very interesting, uh, of prayer according to a fixed-hour format. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, Paul, uh, Luke tells us that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Ninth hour, for our understanding, is three o'clock in the afternoon. Ultimately, when they are there, they're going to run into a man born lame. They will heal him. It will be the catalyst for preaching of the gospel, and over 5,000 uh, will hear and, and believe and be converted. But in order to tell us this story, Luke tells us why they were going to the temple. They were going because it was a time for prayer. It was the third, 3 o'clock. Now, in Second Temple Judaism, many Jews would come together at the synagogue or the temple for prayer at the morning and 9 in the morning, afternoon at noon, and for evening around 3 o'clock in the evening for prayer. Uh, we see Daniel in Daniel 6, 10 and 13, that he maintains three periods of prayer during the day, likely uh, very similar periods of prayer. Now, Peter and John are continuing to pray at these times, at least the third hour, the ninth hour, the, third, the afternoon prayer, uh, even after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, one could suggest, well, maybe that's just because it was a public opportunity to, to uh, proclaim the gospel. Uh, they're just looking for an evangelistic opportunity. Well, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, we're told that Peter, while he's in Joppa, uh, went on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. About the sixth hour is about noon. Which would be one of the hours of prayer. And the most likely conclusion of this matter is that he is still following those hours of prayer. 
So we see here that there's apostolic approved examples of maintaining a discipline of prayer, a regimen to make petition before God at specific times. Now, let's be absolutely clear about this. The precise nature of the regimen is left as a liberty. It also does not limit spontaneous prayer. It does not replace spontaneous prayer. It also does not replace or limit prayers in the assembly or other opportunities for prayer. But what it's saying is this. We've been commanded to pray frequently and diligently and to give thanks to our prayer in our prayers. And we have examples of the apostles who pray at specific hours of prayer. And so when we look at all this evidence, uh, some people may have resistance to it for various reasons, but if we're coming out in in a fair-minded way, we can see that there's maybe some value in considering developing some specific discipline in prayer. Now, the minute we start talking about any kind of formality in prayer, there's going to be some concerns. And we do well to consider those concerns and to recognize what are legitimate concerns and to look and see what's behind some of the other concerns that may not be completely uh, consistent with what what the scriptures have said. Uh, The biggest concern involves denominations or other religions. Because it's true that some denominations, especially Roman Catholicism, Ethan Orthodox, and Anglicanism, maintain prayer offices and maintain prayer books for those offices. And we'll, to be completely honest, there are a lot of those things that are said and done in those prayer books and offices that are just not consistent with what God has revealed in Scripture. And therefore, such things should not be said or done. But it's a good question to ask. Why do those three groups, among others, maintain prayer offices? Well, it's because it's the outgrowth and development of, of something that goes back to the most ancient period of Christianity, the time of the apostles merely afterward, where the apostles and early Christians, uh, we have some evidence here, are keeping prayer hours uh, at, at certain times of the day. We need to make very clear that denominational abuse of a practice does not mean the practice itself is inherently wrong. And to overreact and to entirely reject a practice with some apostolic authority is no better than the abuse done by denominations. So we can certainly see what denominations and others have done with it and be concerned about that and to make sure we don't go down the same path. But that doesn't mean that the thing itself is completely useless. We understand that the Lord's Supper with baptism, with the church, and a host of other things where uh, denominations have taken something good and pure in Scripture and they've twisted and distorted it and turned into something that God never intended for it. Uh, Likewise, if people start thinking of fixed-hour prayers, a lot of people are going to start thinking about Islam because Muhammad uh, imposed five periods of prayer during the day. Uh, But where did Muhammad get that idea? He got that from the practices of Jews and Christians. And a good question we could ask is, what does it say about the relative piety of Christians and Muslims if the Muslims, through this discipline of five daily prayers, end up praying more than Christians? not saying that's the situation. I'm not saying that Christians aren't praying a lot or praying diligently or that God's not hearing them or, or this would legitimate Islam, but it just goes to show that sometimes we we need more discipline than we might want to admit and that there might be value in having certain prayer times to make sure that we are certainly always reminding, remembering God in prayer. Another concern involves repetition or praying prepared material. Because uh, if you're doing a daily office of some form, or daily prayer routine in some form, or just hour, you know, prayers at certain hours, uh, a lot of times the things you're going to say are frequently consistent. Uh, and also, there are assistants 
there are prayers that can be prayed uh, that others have written in times past at different hours. Or you can use books that show a different collection of psalms and other uh, devotional material at uh, certain prayer periods. And some people have a lot of concerns about that, especially in light of Matthew 6, 7, and 8, where Jesus warns us against um, vain repetitions. And it's important for us to, to take seriously what Jesus is saying there and to understand what he is and is not saying in Matthew chapter 6, because a lot of times this just kind of gets thrown out in a way that is, is not entirely accurate. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse... 7, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So, the concern that Jesus has is about empty phrases and just saying lots of things, believing that if you, the longer you pray, the more you pray, that that's why God's going to hear you. Or saying things without meaning. And so, in as much as there are times where you can read something on a page and read it without actually internalizing it, as, as you could just say things. You don't even need it written on a page, though. You can just be uh, going through the motions of a prayer uh, without really thinking about it or meaning it. Uh, if we repeat things just for sake of repeating them, if we're look, trying to look like we're so pious by what we're saying, uh, then we're really not speaking to God, just as Jesus warns us. So it's true that there is legitimacy to those concerns, but those concerns are not specific to things written down. They're not specific to this type of prayer. They're concerns that bedevil all of us in prayer at any time that we're praying. And we can see that the concern is not necessarily something repeated, because Jesus will go on and say, well, pray then like this. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, Jesus then goes on to give a prepared prayer of sorts, something that could be repeated. Is the problem in the repetition? No, the problem is if there's a lack of meaning or importance behind it. Likewise, in Acts chapter 4, 25 and 26, as the apostles begin praying to God after the, uh, they've received the first persecution, they begin the prayer by repeating the words of Psalm 2, 1 through 2. So, uh, Jesus has no problems with prepared prayers. The apostles used the words that were written down in the Psalms as part of their prayer. And, in fact, the Psalms are full of petitions to God. And they are, in fact, written for the people of God to give voice to their praise and their pleas before God. Likewise, throughout time, from the days of what we call apocryphal Jewish writings uh, to this very day, uh, people have sought to find valuable words and sentiments with which to petition God. Now, to use such words, whether in our fixed hour prayer at other times, is not not only not wrong, but it can be of great benefit and comfort. Uh, sometimes, I'm afraid we give more credit to whatever we think in spontaneous prayer because we think somehow that's more authentic. But the problem with spontaneous, the only challenge with that is, is that it's limited to whatever way we think and, and any any in our focus. And there are times where people have been devoting themselves to God for thousands of years. People have tried to find ways to uh, address God in appropriately dignified ways to pray the things that we should be praying for as Christians. And 
again, if, if the apostles recognize there is value in using the words of the Psalms, we can find value in the things aside in the Psalms. We can find value in what others have said to give voice to our feelings. If we're just saying it because we think it's cool. If we're just saying it just to say something. If we're saying it without really meaning it, without making it our own, then it's of no value before God. But that could be just as true about something, uh, just a mechanical prayer that we pray before we eat, or mechanical prayer in the assembly, or, or uh, before we go to bed, or any other such prayer. The issue is always leg- authenticity of meaning. Not necessarily what the, the origin of the material uh, and things of that nature. If it helps center your thoughts on God, if it helps to give voice to your pleas and petitions. Many times, what we're giving voice to is the way we know we should feel. Maybe we don't feel it right now, but we know we need to feel that way. And that through praying the prayer, we're trying to evoke that into reality. That We're trying to make that true of us, that we know that's what we're heading for. And sometimes that can give us great encouragement and uh, express to God the recognition of the way forward in serving Him and devoting ourselves to Him. So the point in it all is that we mean what we pray. That's the most important thing about whatever we pray. And again, we've mentioned this before, we keep mentioning this so that nobody's confused. A lot of people have concerned the minute we start talking about something like a fixed hour prayer or something like that as it's being bound upon them. There's no commandment for fixed hour prayer. This is a matter of liberty. It may be a helpful construct by which we can order our prayer lives before God. Somebody is not less of a Christian or in sin if they don't pray with that kind of discipline. Likewise, to be participating in fixed-hour prayer discipline is not to be a source of pride or to be seen as especially holy. What Jesus warns about in Matthew 6, 5-6, through 6, that you're praying in such a way to be seen by men or to feel like you are amazing. That's absolutely not what it's about. Instead, it's a personal decision that comes with apostolic origins to provide structure to somebody's prayer life. So to maintain a spiritual discipline of prayer, whatever form, may not be required, but it has great value. So looking at what the spiritual discipline of prayer, how one decides to do that is between that person and God. As we said, there are some prayer books that have been written that may be useful to get somebody started. They feature portions of psalms, scriptures, generally decent devotional shell writings or meditations on prayer, things like that. You have to be careful with anything written down by anyone to make sure that what is said is in accordance with what God has revealed in scripture. If you come to a part that you feel that you're, you cannot say in good conscience or is contrary to the teaching of Scripture, you just omit it. You just pass over it. You may even want to black it out if you can, if it helps to keep your mind centered on what is right and true and holy. Um, but you don't even need uh, these external prayer books or helps. Um, you can just come up with a list of psalms to read at specific times, or other passages, or specific prayers that you can pray. Uh, you can even just come up with your own types of prayer that you want to say at different times. Um, another way you could be to have specific types of prayers at specific hours. Uh, you can have a prayer of confession of sin at a particular hour. At another hour, you could do a prayer of praise. At another hour, you do a prayer of thankfulness. Another hour, a prayer of petitions or something like that. Um, you cannot go wrong by respecting the type of things expected in such prayers in Scripture, like we saw in Acts chapter 4, that Psalms were a part of Scripture. Uh, thanksgiving in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, confession of sin in 1 John 1.9, intercession for the world and for on behalf of others in Ephesians 6.18, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2. Uh, these are all uh, things that we can pray for at these appropriate times. 
But, you know, through this whole thing, we've just kind of talked about having a kind of a fixed hour concept. Why is that so important? Why is having prayers at certain specific times really what's really important about this? Why are we emphasizing this? It's not mandated. It's not required. But there is value in the practice for a few reasons. First of all, for any discipline to be of effect or value, it must be a habit. And habits do best when they are maintained in a consistent way. And so a fixed hour prayer has the benefit of being at the same time every single day. And so it allows you to get into a routine. And yes, sometimes we get concerned about routines because routines can become ritualized, formalized without any life in them. Um, on the other hand, there's a reason why we have the routine of assembling at least once a week on the first day of the week, if not more often. There, are, uh, We tend to have routines in how we get ready for the day. We have routines for how we uh, go through our lives. And a lot of times it's when our routines are disrupted that we start forgetting things and things don't get done. But the biggest reason that fix our prayer is of use is because it demands that now we orient our day around God and not ourselves. A lot of times people talk about the first verse of Psalm 14 or Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And they use that as kind of a ha-ha about atheists. Look, atheists are fools. And unfortunately, that kind of, of point is missing what the psalmist is after. His concern is not about atheists. In the time he was writing, there were no atheists. The problem is, uh, atheists have problems, but the problem that is un- in these psalms is much more insidious. Not that somebody does not believe there is a God, but that they say in their heart there is no God. That is, by the way they act and feel, they are going through their lives at their own control and do not act as if there is a God watching them, or that, that they need to conform who they are and what they're doing to God, uh, they're going about it acting and living as if there's no God. And that's an important thing for us to keep in mind, because even as believers, it can be easy to forget about God at various times in the day. It's not that anybody means to, or that it's intentional. Instead, you just get busy. You, you have the stresses of life. You've got deadlines to meet, appointments to make. You've got all these things going on in life, and it's very easy in juggling all these things to forget that there's a God who's, who's, who's sustaining you and, 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 and is there for you. Fix our prayer forces us to stop what we are doing and redirect our minds to God. That no matter what's going on at 9 o'clock or noon or 3 o'clock or whatever times that you set up for yourself, that we are redirecting our minds to God at that moment to uh, remember what He's done for us, to make our requests for Him. And when we do that, however we decide to do that, we're making it clear that God is the Lord of our lives. That when we look at prayer, it's not, hey God, I'm going to talk to you when it's convenient to me, when I can fit you in, as if we're in control and God's just having to wait around for our prayers whenever we feel like it. No, no, no. We recognize God has given us the day. God has given us these opportunities. And so we're going to take out moments during the day to stop to remember Him, to thank Him, to recenter and refocus our minds. And a lot of times, not only does that help us in our relationship with God, that can also help us keep perspective about all of the th- things going on in our day-to-day lives. And sometimes that can have great value as well, because part of the whole reason of spiritual discipline is to make the Christian life a day-to-day thing. And being reminded of being a Christian and what it means to be a Christian frequently during the day will certainly help us to live like Christians throughout the day 
every day. What should be these fixed hours? Again, as we said, Peter and John prayed at 3 p.m., Peter at noon, in Acts 3 and in Acts 10. If we would use a three-hour cycle, that would be at dawn at 6 in the morning, uh, morning at 9, noon for noon prayer, afternoon at 3, evening at 6 p.m., and perhaps also night prayer at 9 o'clock at night. Uh, if those who have insomnia, work nights, or stay up really late, would have similar hours at midnight, 3 a.m., and 6 a.m. Um, some people hold to all of these when they're awake. Some have three such periods. And some people don't have a specific hour, but a range of time. That they're going to stop sometime between 6 and 9 in the morning for morning prayer, 11 a.m. to 1 for afternoon prayer, uh, 3 to 5 for afternoon prayer, something of that sort, or 5 to 8 for evening, whatever. Uh, the whole thing is a matter of liberty, again. But it can be helpful to remind us who is really in control. And so that we order our lives around God, as opposed to just expect God to wait to hear from us whenever we have a chance. Specifically, how we go about maintaining a discipline of prayer is a matter of liberty. But to make sure that we're honoring God through how we attempt to develop a discipline of praying to Him is of actually great importance. And so this is the spiritual discipline of prayer, especially in terms of fixed hour prayer. The structure of our prayer life, again, is a matter of liberty. But the need that we have to pray, to thank God, to make intercession for others, to confess our sin, to make our request before God, is absolutely commanded and mandated. In order to do that, apostles and early Christians maintained fixed hours of prayer and did so above and beyond spontaneous prayers, assembly prayers, or things like that. So there is great value in developing the spiritual discipline of prayer to establish some kind of prayer routine, to orient our lives around God as opposed for God to just hear from us whenever and to be okay with that. And therefore we do well to maintain discipline in our prayer lives. Again, hope that you've been benefited by the things you've heard. If you'd like to talk more about prayer, about God, about Jesus, maybe you need prayers. Maybe you need want to learn more about how to become a Christian. Any way that I can be of service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website, deverbalvitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Uh, perhaps you uh, live in Los Angeles or travel in Los Angeles area. We'd just like to know more about the Venice Church of Christ, who we are, what we're about, and and things of that nature, please look for us online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media on Facebook, Google+, Instagram, Meetup, Twitter. Mostly at Venice Church or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.